Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week, our podcast features an episode of Nick Carter, Master Detective, called Records of Death. It first aired on January 22nd, 1944. I try to tell it. 
I'm afraid that you who may listen to this will not believe me. But I beg you, if justice means anything to you, believe me and avenge me. I shall rest easier in my grave if I know that those who hope to profit by my death have been deprived of the fortune they plan to get by killing me. I am very rich, but I am not rich enough to avoid the fate that is in store for me. She sounds as if she meant it, doesn't she? I thought he was coming in, but he went away. I've tried several times to escape, but I've failed each time. I wish I could tell you where I am, but I can't. Because I was drugged when they brought me here. Oh, I, I forgot to say, my name is Nancy Deering, and I'm 22 years old. You who listen to this will recognize the name at once, of course. I only hope they don't murder me until I can... Is that the end of it? Not quite. He almost caught me that time. But now he's left me alone again. Maybe I can... That's all. Apparently he came back before she expected him. She certainly had plenty of trouble getting a story out of the records, didn't she? Yes. She was interrupted many times, and generally in the wrong places. I imagine no trouble is too great if you're really desperate. What a terrible feeling it must be to expect to be killed any minute. Here's the second record if you're ready. Okay, Phil. I don't know where I left off with my story last time, and I dare not play it back. If they should ever hear what I'm trying to do, they take the machine away from me. Then I'd be completely lost. I feel that my end is coming very soon now. They may carry out their plans to... In the gloaming, oh, my darling, when the lights are soft and low, and the flickering... I think he's gone now. I'm sure Ralph was listening at the door, but the singing apparently convinced him I was listening to the radio. When the time comes, I know it will be Ralph who kills me. Olive will undoubtedly help him, but Ralph is the leader. I found that out the other day when they tried to get me to sign the papers which will give them possession of my fortune. I shall never sign, but that... When the light... The rest of the records Too bad she didn't succeed better. Well, she managed to get most of her story on the records one way or another. The only thing she really missed out on was telling us more about herself than just her name. Probably never occurred to her that the records might travel thousands of miles before someone would hear them. Yeah, here's the third record. Last night, somebody searched my rooms while I was in bed. Maybe they suspect that I'm making these records. Although I'm very careful. I play the radio all the time so they'll be used to hearing the noise. Ralph told me yesterday he was sure I was going crazy. Maybe I... Nancy, Olive asked me to tell you that. And that ends that. Well, whose voice do you suppose that was there at the end? I suspect it was Ralph's. It's amazing how much of the scene she recreates this way without really saying anything definite. You can feel the tension and the suspense right along with her. Yes. On the fourth record, she was able to get part of the visit that Ralph paid her one day. She must have known he was coming and prepared for it by putting the record blank on the machine in advance. Then, when she heard him at the door, she probably turned it on and got this. Well, put it on quickly, Mr. Field. Here you are, Miss Bourne. 
to sign over your fortune to me? I told you long ago I'd never do that. If you sign, we'll set you free, just as we promised. You don't fool me, Ralph. The minute I sign my name to that paper you have there, you'll kill me. You know that as well as I do. You'll set me free. That's funny. Ah, you don't know when you're well off, Nancy. If you did, you'd sign and go free. You must think I'm a fool, Ralph. I do. And I also think it won't be long before you wish you had signed. <clears throat> oh, I wish this were all over. I wonder how they'll kill me. Ralph would prefer to strangle me, I'm sure. With those great, hairy hands of his. As for Olive, here she'd use poison on the book. That's all there is on that one. It's a pity she couldn't have put more on each record than she did. She really used only a small portion of each bite. Yes, Nancy, but she had trouble enough to get even that much on them, the way they washed her. Nick, where could she get the blank records in the first place? They certainly wouldn't have let her have them knowingly. If I were to make a guess, Nancy, I'd say that when they took her to the place where she was kept prisoner, they probably took along her clothes and some of her furnishings. Mm-hmm. And among them probably was this radio phonograph. Perhaps she specially asked for it because she loved music or something, and the record blanks were probably the machine along with the other records. Mm, that could be. Uh, how about the fifth record, Mr. Fields? I've never been able to make much out of this one. Maybe you'll have better luck. You mean it's not like the others? Quite different. Here, I'll start it near the end. The whole first part is just scratch and nothing else. <laughs> again. Olive came in. I had to stop. Now she's gone for a few minutes at least. Yesterday I wrote a letter to my father and I threw it out the window hoping someone would find it and mail it. But Ralph found it and brought it back to me and laughed at me. I keep asking him for news of my father but he'll tell me nothing. If father only knew where I am he'd rescue me. Maybe if I can just and that's the end of that. Well, we didn't get much out of it. I wonder where her father comes into this. You don't see before we're through. And this seventh record is more interesting. 
Because it records a complete conversation between Nancy and Ralph. Good. Let's hear it. Thank you. 
heard what he said. It was the best evidence I could get. Ralph really made a full confession without knowing that every word he said was being preserved for you to hear. But my father, while he died, oh, I beg you, whoever you are, hears his words. If you can do anything to avenge our death, in heaven's name, do it. I go to my death believing that through you I shall have my revenge at last. Oh, please don't fail me. I see the records coming to an end. Good night. Pray for me. Good God. <laughs> if you didn't know she was in deadly earnest, you'd almost think she was putting on an act. I still feel terribly moved when I hear that record. She never had a chance, really. Well, let's hear the next one. That's the ninth, isn't it? Yeah, number nine is almost a blank. But here it is. They almost caught me that time. They mustn't do that because they might find the records I've already made and destroy them. They're both coming back in a few minutes, but maybe I can... Is that all there is on that one? That's all. That's the end of the record. There's one more, isn't there? Yes. Uh, number ten. The first two-thirds of it's blank. It starts here. Stand back, both of you. Well, no, you see, I'm armed. You know I can shoot and shoot straight. I'll kill the first one of you to move. Come, Parker. That's my gun. Where did you get it? Olive gave it to me so I could defend myself. That's a lie. You know it. What is it? Nancy Deering pinned to it. 
A New Testament with the name Evangeline Dupre on the flyleaf. Several rings, all very valuable. A real pearl necklace. And some beautiful and very expensive lace. Also, of course, the blood-stained nightdress, which must have been the one that Nancy was murdered in. And the three snapshots, of course. Oh, yes. One with the name Olivette on the back, one with the name Ralph, and one with the name Evangeline Dupre Deering. Whoever packed that box knew exactly what he was doing, Patsy. All ties together beautifully. He or she has given us all the clues he could to the people concerned in the affair. Evangeline Dupre Deering must have been the mother. Yes. She had two children, twins, Ralph and Olivette, by her first marriage. Then she married Nancy's father, a man named Deering. But that doesn't get as much nearer a solution, Nick. No, but it does, Patsy. Did you notice that all the voices we heard in the records were American? Well, yes, I guess they were. And yet the names are mostly French, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Now, where do we find a combination like that around here? Why, in Canada, I suppose. Exactly. And the label on the opera cloak says Toronto, which confirms the Canada idea perfectly. You mean that the Deerings lived in Toronto? Well, it's certainly quite logical to assume that the scene of the murder is Canada, and very possibly in the vicinity of Toronto. Well, we start there anyway. Maybe the Toronto police can help us. But, Nick, even if you're right, it doesn't mean that the police would know anything about the murder. It was all done so secretly. You're overlooking one thing, Patsy. I am? Well, what is it? The family from which these people came was a rich family. Very rich indeed, if we may guess from the beautiful laces and from the jewelry and other things packed in the box. Mm-hmm. And remember also that Nancy's father was probably killed, too. Now, I can't believe that the head of a rich and probably well-known family could disappear without anyone knowing it. You mean you think the police will know that something happened to him about a year ago even if they don't think that there's anything wrong about it. Exactly. So pack your bag, Patsy, and order a taxi to take us to the airport. We're flying to Toronto immediately. I'm very happy to welcome you back to Toronto, Mr. Carter. It's been many years since you've been up here to see us. Thanks very much, Chief. Now, you mind if I ask you a few questions? Of course not. Go right ahead. Did you get a letter about a year ago telling that a murder had been done... And that if you wanted proof, you should claim an express box sent to New York City in the name of Alex Delanois. Wait a minute. By George Carter, we did get just such a letter. But we thought it was the work of a crank and destroyed it. Do you mean it was true? I have every reason to believe it was. Now another question. Would you know anything about a girl named Nancy Deering or about her father? For heaven's sake, Carter, what do you know about the Deering family? You answer my question first, I'll answer yours. What about the Deering? Uh, the father, Charles Deering, is, is or was the younger son of an English nobleman. Mm-hmm. He was immensely rich at a house here in town, a country place called Deering Hall. He married a woman with two children, twins, I believe, and she died when his daughter Nancy was born. Ah. He was always prominent in local affairs up to about a year ago when he's said to have disappeared. Hasn't been seen since. I understand he started for Deering Hall, but never arrived there, according to his two stepchildren. What about his daughter, Nancy? Nancy was brought up by relatives in Montreal. Few people here know her at all. But as I remember it, she was supposed to have disappeared just before her father did. Although I now understand that she was at Deering Hall with her half-brother and sister all the time. You say Nancy didn't disappear after all? I know. As a matter of fact, she was here in Toronto this past week. She believes her father is dead, so she's applied for letters of administration for the estate. I thought so. You did? What do you know about it? Enough to know that this girl who calls herself Nancy Deering isn't Nancy Deering at all. She's an imposter whom the stepchildren have brought in to impersonate her. Chief, we got to get out to Deering Hall at once. into 
the Deering estate turns off somewhere right in here, Carter. I'm not quite sure. Well, but... Look, Chief. There's a man standing in the road up ahead. Oh, so there is. And he's motioning to us to stop. Well, it looks almost like a dwarf, doesn't he? Oh, he's certainly a queer-looking individual. If we are up to you, I'm going to the oil. Yes, we are. Why? Could you take me back there? I have walked so far, I am tired out. Oh, of course. Climb in. What? You are a policeman, no? Yes, I am. Oh, then you can help me. And I need help so very much. What seems to be the trouble? My name is Alex Delanois. I am the... Alex Delanois? But yes, you know me. You once sent a box packed with records and other things to New York City addressed to yourself? Oh, but yes, you have seen it. Yes, that's why we're here. Tell me, how did you ever happen yes, to... Yes, yes, I will tell you everything. I was the caretaker at the hall. Miss Deering let me stay in one of the old tower rooms... Because I am, as you see, a cripple. Sometimes I, I do not get out of bed for days at a time. About a year ago, the two stepchildren of those very wicked devils came to the hall. They brought a girl who was kept a prisoner in one of the bedrooms. Alex, isn't that the hall road to the hall just ahead? Then? No, but yes. The hall is about a half a mile in of this road. Go on with your story, Alex. Yeah, uh, the, the girl was so carefully guarded by those two, uh, I could not get to her room. <laughs> I could not help her. I am a cripple. No, you did what you could, Alex. You being a helper, I know. How did you manage to get the things packed in the box? Uh, after they killed Nancy, <laughs> they did not guard their room so carefully. I got in... I took the records and the other things and packed them in the box. A fisherman I know up by the lake sent the box by experts for me. I wrote to the police in Toronto and in New York and told them what had happened and asked them to claim this box. But I am afraid they did not do it. No, we didn't. We thought the letter was just a hoax. What about Nancy's father? Uh, the day after Nancy was killed... He came here, and they tried to kill him, too. Tried to? You mean they didn't succeed? No, no, not quite. They hit him on the head with a pistol and threw him into the lake from the high cliff. Ah, but I saw them do it, and I rescued him. I took him to my home and nursed him myself until he could get a doctor. Well, how is he now? Well, he's about well now, I think. There's the house right ahead, Nick. Drive right up to the door, Chief. I'll go ahead. You keep in the background in case they know you. Okay, Carter. But I'll be right behind you. Alex, you and Patsy stay here in the car. Oh, but of course. Sure, Nick. Yes? What is it, please? Please tell Miss Deering that we've come to take some affidavits concerning her application as administratrix for the estate. Yes, sir. Well, come in, please. I'll announce you. It's your turn now, Chief. I'll stand here one side of the door, just in case. I can handle them, Carter. Maybe, but they better be quiet. Here they come. Well, gentlemen, what can we do? Dr. Gray, I arrest you and your sister Olivet for the murder. I'll take that gun to play with me. Oh, no, you don't, lady. This pair of handcuffs will take care of you. Can we see you? See any help, Carter? No, I can see you. Nice work, Carter. Pair of handcuffs on him. They both keep safely till we can put them behind the bars. And we can now restore Deering Hall to his rightful owner once more. Even though it's almost a year later, the box that Alex Zellenwald packed has fulfilled its destiny.
has been another of the strange adventures of Nick Carter, Master Detective, which are brought to you regularly at the same time by WOR Mutual. What's your story going to be about next week, Nick? Well, next week, I'm going to tell you the tale of the thief and murderer who had to be caught twice before he was really caught at all. And when Nick caught him the second time, it was because he was able to guess in advance exactly what the criminal was going to do as well as exactly what he was going to think. And what did you say the crime was? Merely a matter of murder and robbery. Well, there was nothing unusual in the crime itself. The excitement came, and the way Nick chased him, outsmarted him, and finally caught him. He's a very special example of the criminal who was just a little too clever for his own good. He overrated himself and underrated Nick. That's always dangerous where Nick Carter is concerned. Thanks to the compliment. And so long till next week. So long, everybody. And so long to you both. In the strange adventure you've just heard, Nick Carter was impersonated by Lon Clark, Patsy by Helen Choate. Original music was played by Lou White, and the entire production was written and directed by Jock McGregor. Next week at the same time, listen to another curious experience of Nick Carter entitled... The Unwilling Accomplice. Or Nick Carter and the Mystery of the Society Burglar. This story is a copyrighted feature of Street and Smith Publications Incorporated. This is Mutual. Nick Carter, Master Detective, was a mutual radio crime drama based on the tales of the famed detective from Street and Smith's dime novels and pulp magazines. Nick Carter first came to radio as The Return of Nick Carter, a reference to the character's pulp origins, but the title was soon changed to Nick Carter, Master Detective. A veteran radio dramatist, Farron Frazier, wrote many of the scripts. With Lon Clark in the title role, the series began April 11, 1943 on Mutual, continuing in many different time slots for well over a decade. Sponsored by Kudahay Packing, an old Dutch cleanser, and later Acme products, the series finally settled in on Sundays at 6.30 p.m. for broadcasts from August 18, 1946 to September 21, 1952. Libby Packing was the sponsor when the drama aired on Sundays at 6, from 52 to 53, and in the last two years of the long run, the show was heard at Sundays at 4.30. Jock McGregor was the producer-director of scripts by Alfred Bester, Milton J. Kramer, David Kogan, and others. Background music was supplied by organists Hank Silvern, Lou White, and George Wright. Walter B. Gibson, who was the co-creator and writer of the Shadow Pulp novels, was fired when he asked for a raise in 46, so he became the head writer for, Nick Car the, for the Nick Carter radio series. Oddly enough, he never liked to write scripts for the radio version of The Shadow, though both characters were published by Street and Smith. Patsy Bowen, Nick's assistant, was portrayed by Helen Choate until mid-1946, and then Charlotte Manson stepped into the role. Nick and Patsy's friend was reporter Scubby Wilson, played by John Kane. Nick's contact at the police department was Sergeant Matheson, played by Ed Latimer. The sporting cast also included Raymond Edward Johnson, Bill Johnstone, and Byna Rayburn. Michael Fitzmaurice was the program's announcer. The series ended on September 25, 1955. Chick Carter Boy Detective was a serial adventure that aired weekday afternoons on Mutual, and Chick Carter was the adopted son of Nick Carter. And that uh, Boy Detective series aired from July 5, 1943 to July 6, 1945. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>